0: Hey, Sanctus Church. Good morning. Welcome to the end of May. Summer is just around the corner. I know that we're all sort of getting there. Can't wait for the summer to come. And you might know know this, or you might know this. Every year around this time, we want to pause. We want to reflect. We want to think back. We want to think about right now and think about tomorrow. And so we always have update moments and even vision moments now. During the pandemic, a lot of our vision moments weren't that visionary. They were more like survival or a small next step. But today, this is going to feel a little bit more like it used to be pre-pandemic. This is going to begin to speak very directly into our future. And so I'd encourage you to buckle up, lean in and listen as we talk about our coming future together as a church family. So how are we going to begin this conversation this week and then next week? Well, I want to take us on a journey at least today. See, some of you joined us when our church was called Steeple Hill. That's all the way back in Pickering. Others of you joined us when we were in Ajax High School in those transitionary years. Many of you joined us when we used to be called Crothers Creek Community Church. Others of you joined us when we were just C4. Others of you joined us when we've been called Sanctus. Some pre-COVID, during COVID, or post-COVID. Now, no matter who you are or when you joined this moment, this family, this church, we now make up this church family, and so let's all walk this journey together. It was 2005. I'd just become a senior pastor. It was September. i just turned 30 years old. The old senior pastor that had grown the church from 50 to just under 1,000 people was still sitting in the front row while I was speaking for the first time. He wasn't leaving for a few months. We were at that moment one site, one service, one location. We had a mission, sort of, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus, We had no vision, we had no understanding of how we got to where we did, and we had no clue what we were called to do next, if there was even a next. And so, in 2005, in that September, I gave my very first vision talk. In that very intense moment, at least for me, I asked our church family a series of questions that had not been asked before. I asked our church family these questions. Why has God given us this amount of people in this moment already? Uh, What does our future look like? Was God calling us to be something? And if so, how do we know what He's calling us to be and what was that thing? And in that moment, I started to cast vision. I began to paint the very first glimpses of our coming future. So in that very first sermon as senior pastor, I, I introduced something that was not core to our understanding. It had no effect on how we planned at all. The idea of common faithfulness and unique assignment. Now, like I just said, many of you have been with us for decades. Others have been with us for years. Some of you have just joined within the last year. Others of you are checking out this church right now. It's been a few weeks. So we together as one church family need to be reminded or be introduced to these two key pillar ideas that have huge influence over us as a local church. Again, common faithfulness and unique assignment or calling. Acts chapter 2 is the most famous and fundamental description of common faithfulness. What every single local church must look like, no matter denomination, cultural expression, or size. This is how they experienced church in the first century, and though there's cultural things connected to it, there are key principles or a blueprint that every local church on earth needs to rediscover and continue. It reads like this in Acts 2.42. The early Christians, the original Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching "'Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. "'Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders "'and signs performed by the apostles. "'All the believers were together. "'They held everything in common. "'They sold property and possessions "'to give to anyone who had need. "'Every day they continued to meet together "'in the temple courts. "'They broke bread in their homes, "'ate together with glad and sincere hearts, "'praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. "'And God added to their number daily "'those who were being saved. "'So I said, "'Teaching.'" Community, communion, or Eucharist, or the Lord's table, prayer, the presence of God, giving, loving the poor, large gatherings, small gatherings, baptism, evangelism. Every single church on earth is called to do these things. Not only that, we're called to fulfill the last words of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, not geographical nations, all ethno-groups, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's common faithfulness. That's gonna be found in Anglican churches and Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Pentecostal churches and independent, fill in the blank. But beyond common faithfulness, sometimes out of holy listening, comes God given vision. We have come to believe here at Sanctus Church that Jesus does speak uniquely to congregations and kingdom movements. We see this in the book of Revelation. He talked differently to the church in Sardis versus Philadelphia or Smyrna or Ephesus. And the scriptures are full of leaders being given or issued God-given assignments. The mission is assigned to all churches, but the specific calling or assignment is usually given to leaders first, Moses. I've called you to go do this thing. Paul, do that. Philip, go there. We we're fasting and fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit said. So in these moments, if God speaks, if God speaks, that moment should become the inception point for a dynamic vision of local churches. Now, this implies, of course, being open, learning to listen through the disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines. This presumes empowering people with spiritual gifts to discern what's from God, what's human, what's demonic, and what's what you ate last night. So mission, Matthew 28, Acts 2, common faithfulness, never changes in any environment at its core. Visions are God-given for a season, and then they're done and they get replaced by new ones. It's like bread on a shelf in a store. It has a shelf life. Now, strategies support visions for a season, And they can change at any time. Alpha, for example, or freedom session. These are examples of how we do connect groups. These are all strategies. Now, number one, does this mean God always will speak? No. God's not some genie that we demand. Sometimes He speaks directly. And if He does speak, we build vision. If He doesn't, common faithfulness becomes the ongoing call from heaven. But we need to keep in step with the Spirit, listening to see if there is an assignment. So in that very first sermon, all the way back in 2005, here's what I actually shared to our church family and moving us from mission to vision for the first time by addressing two things, geography and size. Uh, This is where the word regional showed up for the very first time formally. Now, our name back then was Crothers Creek Community Church. So when people heard our name in 2005, they presumed community was the community beside or around or behind the church building here in Ajax. And actually, Crothers Creek, I don't know if you know this, it's a real creek, is literally just down the road. So I got up in 2005 and said, listen, everyone, community does not mean the community just behind the church, by the way, where I used to live. And then what I did strategically is I listed a group of known names in our church. And I said, these people live in Scarborough, and these people live in North Pickering, and these people live in South Pickering, and these people live in Ajax, and these people, like me, live right behind the church. And other people live in Whitby, and Oshawa, and Salina, and Port Perry, and Uxbridge, and Brooklyn, and Brome. Those are the communities I listed in 2005. And I said, God has strategically planted us in many communities to be salt and light. We travel somewhere between 8 and 18 minutes to to come to church. So what we need to acknowledge is, when we hear the word community, it means we're a regional church. A lot of people nodded their heads. Some people were really upset because they just thought we should reach just that neighborhood. And all right, they left the church. Uh, And then after I said that, I I took a next step. This is actually what I said. Here's from the script. I then said, God is going to make us a church of thousands in this next chapter. And then I said, churches have callings like people. We have been given gifts and leaders and dreams. Visions are different. Some churches are called to be small. Some churches are called to church plant. Some churches are called to build house church networks. But we here are called to be a gathered church of thousands. That was the first attempt at vision. Many people were excited. Other people thought I was young, ambitious, full of pride. And they didn't want to be a church of thousands. They liked the church just the way it was, just around 850 or 900 people. And so... No surprise, guess what happened? A lot of people left. (laughs) Fast forward, lots of work done, started growing, started to understand, a lot of missteps, a lot of falling down, a lot of amazing. And five years later, we became more clear and more bold. It was 2010. In 2010, our mission statement now was more fleshed out. I got up and preached this in a vision talk. Our mission statement is to glorify God. Oh, right, God's first. By enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So in that 2010 vision series, I slowed down, and I unpacked the mission statement. And this is exactly what I said, because I've got all these sermons on my laptop. I said, every church has a statement like this, which really is a summary of the Great Commission and Great Commandment, which every Christian and every church is mandated to do. We want to enable people. But then I asked the question, but who are the people? Well, there are many here and many in the future that will join us, that have already crossed the line of faith, they've met Jesus as Savior, leader, and Lord. And we're called to equip and encourage each other to move from walking with God to growing in our faith, contributing to the faith community, and then impacting the world for Christ. That's some of the old language we used. Yet, we also realize we're called to introduce many, many more people that don't have eternal life and have never met Jesus to Jesus. So then I said, our purpose reminds us that we're called to live with, to point to, to speak about the hope we have to all those around us, those who have not yet crossed the Christian line of faith. And then I said, we here at C4, that was our name back then, (coughs) want to see irreligious people, that is, people that have no faith, agnostics and atheists and humanists, those that only focus on the now to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We are also called to see that those who call themselves spiritual or the many around us that belong to formal other faiths to come and meet Jesus, the only Savior, the only true God, the only answer to this life and the life to come. And yet also, we are called to reach the largest group of people around us in this area called nominal Christians. They're Christians in name only. They might be very religious. They might be practicing. Many are not practicing. They might give intellectual assent to the Christian faith. They might be faithful in attending and worship, service at worship services. They actually might actively involve themselves in church affairs. But in spite of all of this, they are destined for eternal judgment because they have not personally committed to the life, their life to Jesus Christ as Savior, Leader, and Lord. And our purpose, I said, is to see all these people, All these different people meet Jesus and grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus. That was the first time we actually started talking about who's our audience we're trying to reach. And then I said this next little section. So I said, we've been working and praying and growing over these five years, but that vision that our church would reach thousands was still foggy and unclear. So in 2010, in that same sermon, we finally spoke publicly about what we had been praying about talking about, and actually agreed upon. So in that very sermon, I started the vision section when we moved from mission to vision, and I quoted this. One person brilliantly said, A vision is a clear mental picture of a preferable future given by God. And then I said these words, Hey, John... Lots of us are asking you, regional church, thousands fully devoted, doing kingdom things, but where's the glue? Tell me this thing in one sentence. Can I fit this on a t-shirt? And I said, yes, you can now do it. And then I said, for the first time ever publicly, our unique vision for C4 is to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. I said it. It was like the oxygen left the room. No one fainted, but they were like, oh. And I said, OK, let me explain this. I came back to regional. I said, we are a regional church with people from Scarborough, Pickering, Ajax, Whitby, Oshawa, Uxbridge, Brooklyn, Rome, and beyond. I used that exact quote. God has strategically planted us in many communities to be salt and light. And we travel from 30 seconds to 25 minutes to church. Then I said these words, further, <laughs> we realize that God wants to use us to help reach the world. As a result, we are becoming more and more actively involved in national and global ministry endeavors through our global outreach and other endeavors we're going to participate in. So we're going to have a local expression and a and a national expression and a global expression. Then I said, okay, church of 10,000. Everyone leaned in. Then I wrote this. Where did that come from, John? Was this a number just out of the air that seemed challenging enough? Is this something you went to Texas and said, oh, a big is better or... No, no. <laughs> I said, here's the background. In 2004, I ended up at a gathering called Mission Fest. I didn't want to go to Mission Fest because actually I was the son of missionaries and didn't like hanging out in those environments very much. During a devotional period as youth pastor, I actually felt very prompted by the spirit that I was supposed to go to Missions Fest, though I did not want to go to Missions Fest. So I went and I was told to listen to a guy named Paulie Chow from South Korea, who I also didn't want to listen to because I didn't like sort of his background in the sense of his denominational expression. Anyway, while he was speaking, I was listening, and then I, clear as day since God, say to me, John, I want you to pray for 10,000 people to come to C4. And I said to God in my head, no, I will not do that. This is not my place. I'm the youth pastor, not the senior pastor. This is crazy. And by the way, God, if this is you speaking and not my ambition, ego, or Satan, uh, this, is, this is Canada, I reminded God. We're not in the U.S. We're not in parts of Africa or Asia. I will not do this. And God said, you must do this. And after a long battle, no one knew this was happening, I got on my knees and I prayed. And I didn't understand what I was praying, but I said, if this is from you, Lord, you do this. And I knew it was connected to our church. Months later, I was doing my devotions again, normal devotion time. I was reading through Genesis. That day, I arrived at Genesis 41. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. God's, by God's grace, he's made prime minister of Egypt after he interprets the king's dreams. I'm reading the passage, and then I heard the phrase, I'm going to give you more. And I said to the Lord, more? I love what I'm doing. The youth ministry is exploding, young adults. We had introduced pre-adolescent stuff. And then I came to verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And I heard these words in my mind, John, you will be the senior pastor of this church by 30. I was overwhelmed. I thought, again, this feels so wrong. This feels a ambit- like, oh, but I knew it was going to happen. I said nothing except to two people. Dave Collins, our former senior pastor, had not yet told us that God was speaking to him about leaving. After months of questioning and praying, suddenly Dave stood up and said, I think God is asking me to leave. And they looked at me and said, I think you're supposed to lead this church. Then the staff and elders gathered and they believed I was called to be the next lead pastor. And I was a little overwhelmed by that. And then after all that happened, only then did I talk about Genesis 41 and what the Lord had told me earlier to the elders. I never talked about it to them before. And I also met with the elders and pastors and told them plainly, when I had been asked to pray over Crether's Creek at that moment, every elders board between 2005 and 2010, and the full pastoral team knew about this prayer for 10,000. We fasted together. We prayed together. I submitted it to make sure it was not from me or ambition. It was from the Lord. And there was agreement, multiple elders board and staff. Yes, God had asked us to this audacious goal. Then, while I was preaching this back in 2010, I asked this, well, John, next question to you, why didn't you tell us as a church sooner? And I said, honestly, a mix of things. Fear, I mean, what would you all think? Would we rally? Were we ready? Did God need to get us in a place where we could think bigger than where we had been before? There were a thousand reasons from taking time to discern, to deep wondering, to personal fear. And then I said, but I stand here today declaring that the elders board and all pastoral staff have known and fasted and prayed over this number, and we agree this is God's given task for us to move forward, and now seems the right time to publicly define it. And then I said, now there's a lot of fear when you say 10,000 because few of us have ever experienced Christian community on that size or scale. To be a church of 10,000 is a sizable vision I preached. Some might call it audacious. And then I said these words, so important is bigger better. Are all churches called to be large churches? Are small churches less important to God, or are they not doing their job, and that's why they're not supposedly successful? And my answer back then to these questions was a straightforward, simple no. I said, our sincere understanding is that our congregation has been called by God to grow to this scale. Human standards, audacious. God's standards, what an opportunity. And then I quoted this. Vision and goals, one leader said, do not necessarily mean that bigger is better. They affirm that clearer is better. Vision and goals help define what a particular ministry will look like as it moves forward in increasing health. So in that vision series, we clarified audience, mission, We clarified regional again, we talked about 10,000, and then physical, emotional, and spiritual. We embedded it in Jesus' name, in the vision statement, because we wanted to say to our people that we believe that we're integrated human beings. We have to deal with the physical side of people, the emotional side of people, and the spiritual side of people, but it needs to be done in Jesus' name. It has to be under the authority of Scripture. Well, the following Sunday after that, I preached about this again, our God-given vision, and and of course, everyone went a thousand places. Some people thought we were going to build like some auditorium of 10,000 seats. And I'm like, well, where are the children? All sorts of stuff. But listen, I, I showed a scale or a series of graphs. And it was really interesting. I said, if we became 10,000 literally tomorrow, revival broke out and 10,000 people showed up at our church. I said, here's what we're really talking about. And I went through stats of Ajax and Pickering and Durham. But here's the stat I just want to share with you all these years later. I said, if we reach 10,000 people tomorrow, this is in 2010. I said, here's the stat. At that point, the GTA was 6.1 million people. I said, if we became a church of 10,000 tomorrow, we would have reached 00.16% of the population. And when we were showing these pie charts with these little slivers, people suddenly went, oh my goodness. Some of you are nodding because you remember this. We all suddenly went... Wow, it's such a small number when you're looking at the huge mission field we've been given. Well, after that moment, again, people rallied, people left, people, all the things. We were like, well, we have to start helping our congregation move forward. And that's when we built Plan 1, the first major strategic steps to move us forward in part. This is when multi-site was introduced. Alpha became a center point of the church. Releasing prayer got formalized. We started moving from one service at one site to many services at one site to many services at more sites. We started also defining what a fully devoted follower of Jesus looked like. We started using this language of guaranteed places of encounter which didn't exist before. We also, in this time period, started talking about spiritual gifts clearly and spiritual disciplines clearly as the key to church health and empowerment. During this period, we experienced, over a three-year period, a documented renewal or God did above and beyond shocking things among us. It was an amazing season. So let me put it like this. In 2005, the next chapter started. 2010, mission and vision are clarified. Plan 1 is introduced. Common language around fully devoted followers was given. Gifts and disciplines become center. And then we came to 2015. Now the mission was clear, and vision was clear, and plans were in place, and we were following them and moving forward. There was another key visionary moment that happened in 2015. I got up and preached on what we felt God wanted us to be related to culture or flavor. What we already started to feel like, but what we needed to become more on the ground. And the first time, I think, uh, that I can remember... Uh, in a very direct way, I preached out of the end of Acts 12 and the beginning of Acts 13. And here's what I preached. Acts 12, 26. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Acts 13. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, tetra- and Saul. And I just said to the church, I want you to stop and see the revolutionary power of what the gospel's already done. You've got Jews, Greeks, and Romans meeting for a year in church together. Unheard of. And I said, look at the list. I mean, Paul, Saul, and Barnabas Barnabas being together, miraculous. But then the rest of the list is even more mind-bending. You've got Simon called Niger. He's given this Latin name because of his skin color. He's African in origin, so he's a person of color. Lucius was a very common Roman name, but Cyrene is where actually we have the modern... Country of Libya today. So he's North African. And then you've got Mannion, who grew up as the foster brother, close friend of Herod. This is the Herod from the Christmas story, who the wise men talked to, the one who killed the children in response to Jesus being born. He's the one who beheads John the Baptist. And now his foster brother, his best friend growing up, is now a follower of Jesus. And all I said is, look at all these people from all these backgrounds, Jews, non-Jews, African, North African, Roman, Greek, the list goes on. God, through the work of Jesus' Son, the presence of the Holy Spirit, brings people who would never be together socially, let alone religiously, and brings them before God the Father's throne to worship in spirit and truth. And then I wrote, this is the work we must continue to work towards. And then I said, what is the end of time going to look like? What is, what is going to ripple into eternity? Well, it's Revelation 7-9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. And I just said, since this is what forever is going to be like, we must continue to try to understand and work hard to bring the not yet into the now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well then... Verse 2 in chapter 13 gets more interesting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now that word worshiping has (laughs) real punch. This word comes from the Greek Old Testament and it was used almost exclusively for priests and Levites in the Jewish temple. And so this is wild. The gathering of Jews and non-Jews as Christians, to fast and pray, to be taught, and to speak utterances in the Spirit, is the new way that God is served in His new temple, because the new temple is the people of God. And through His gift of prophecy, the Holy Spirit tells the community that Jesus, the head of the church, wants Barnabas and Saul, I want you to catch this, this local church's two most eminent and gifted leaders, your two best thinkers, your two best preachers, Two of the most anointed people in your midst, I want them both to leave. Now notice, when does the prompting happen? During a time of praying and fasting. So I said this back then in 2015, I'm going to say it again. Hey, Sanctus, let me say this again. If spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of power to serve from, then spiritual practices become the only ongoing guaranteed place to be transformed, to be changed, In those environments because they clear the ground they provide space so you get to hear get permission and keep in step with the Spirit and then I said as Jesus was led exclusively by the Spirit and used spiritual gifts to minister from and spiritual disciplines to listen to what the Father wanted so local churches need to be in the same place and have the same posture of Jesus and then I said if you're new Go back and listen to the sermon series on spiritual gifts and disciplines or read the book Convergence that tells our story because this makes this is what makes our church a little different than the other churches in the area. And then I said these words in 2015. Antioch is our archetype or our cultural vision or our desired flavor. Strong teaching, a place of influence for the kingdom in its own region and beyond, spiritual disciplines, mutual submission, strong leadership, growing in cultural diversity, all the spiritual gifts at the center of serving, sensitivity to the Spirit's leading, prompting that leads to good planning, the staying and going of leaders as the Spirit of God moves. This is the type of church God is calling us to be. This is our God-given flavor, rooted in God the Father's calling, the work of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit. Okay. Now, lots has happened since 2015. (laughs) Plan one ended. A second plan called Plan 2 was built. We've walked together through a pandemic. We've moved from one site and one service between Plan 1 and Plan 2 to now five sites and eight services. Thousands of us, thousands of people, literally thousands of people have been part of our church since 2005. Many, many many of us have stayed. Others have moved. They have passed away. They've joined other churches Many actually amazingly over that run have been called in the ministry. They themselves have planted churches or are leading them. So much good, so much difficulty, so much life has been done. We experienced that renewal, a pandemic, a name change, and our multicultural experience has fundamentally exploded, especially in the last five or six years. Now, are we done with all that? No, no, we have so much work to do. But that just shows you sort of the, the trajectory. Now, we're sitting here in the middle of 2023, we're coming to the end of a ministry year that was all focused on rebuilding post-pandemic. So as we look forward, we need to think of it like this. As we move from rebuilding, we now need to prepare for momentum. And as we've been rebuilding and we live through the pandemic, a lot of us as senior leaders and with some elders, begin to ask the question, is there anything related to our mission or vision that needs to be changed or adjusted? What's happened since 2005? What was aspirational back then that actually is much more now part of our DNA? So I'm going to just take a moment to pause here. And I want to go back to the mission and vision of our church because here's why we're doing this. For the next chapter of this local church, There are some needed clarifications and changes so we can move forward well, post-rebuilding, into momentum again, into a new season we've never been to before. So senior staff and elders, we've taken time to pray and wrestle through some of these questions. So I just want to talk about our mission statement for a moment. I shared it. For years, our mission statement has read like this. To glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, this is really good and there's a lot of good to it, but it was missing a core component. And this came up again and again as we heard from people in our church, from staff, from elders, etc. So now we believe the mission statement needs to read like this. To glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So let me just do this again. God and His glory first matters. Everything we do in this church is going to be judged by God one day, and everything we do should be about the glory of God. And remember, by rooting it in God's glory, this means this church is not about my preferences or your preferences. It's about the worship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It also reminds us, by the way, in our vast diversity, that our unity in this church is not based on our political views or our skin color or where we come from. Our unity in this church, like all churches, is based on God the Father's election, the work of Jesus on his, in His death and resurrection and His ascension and His prayers for us and His forgiveness of us and His atonement for us and the presence of the Holy Spirit who unites us together and guarantees our resurrection. All Christian unity is external in someone else giving it to us. So, re- remember, to glorify God. And then we said age, stage, and nation. This embeds in the very purpose of why we exist that we want to continually try to strive to help people at different ages and stages of life, but also thank God for the gift of global diversity, acknowledge that God has placed us in the most multicultural city on earth, and also continue to be aware, pray for, and fight for what is going to be eternally true in the new heavens and new earth. So that's the small adjustment, but significant adjustment in our mission statement. Some of you are going, okay, John, vision statement, is that changing? Well, let me read our historic expression of vision. Our historic expression of vision was to become a regional church of 10,000 meeting the physical, emotional and physical physical, emotional and spiritual needs of people in Jesus name. Now we need to talk about that word regional again. Like I shared all the way back in 2005 when people heard that they thought about the neighborhood behind this church, building in Ajax. Then it meant regional Durham region. And just before the pandemic, we revealed plan two. And in that plan, we talked about launching a series of new sites and those sites would be found in Oakville, Markham Stouffville, downtown Toronto, North York, Lindsay Peterborough or Port Hope. Now, all of that came to a standstill as we lived through a two and a half plus year global moment. Is our goal still to launch many new sites across the GTA? Yes, in time and we'll talk about that more But what happened in and during the pandemic also became very interesting for us because our global reach that we knew existed before got quantified and formalized. Our influence because of our online presence grew far beyond Durham or the GTA. It genuinely has global footprint, global impact. I don't know if you know this, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to sermons all around the world. There are thousands of downloads, uh, books that are written out of this community, leaders from so many Christian communities all over the place. Japan and Spain and Germany and France and Australia and New Zealand and England and Mexico, and the list goes on, are are, are reading Pentecostals and Baptists and Brethren, and you can fill in the list. So there's leadership influence, there's global sermon influence, our worship songs are being sung in multiple churches, the gathering online of people as they gather with us, and then the launch and the existence even of our fifth site changed the way we do church in part. And so what we started wrestling with, and it existed before, all the way through the process, but more specifically is, is there a better word than regional that reflects our ongoing God-given influence? And how do we make sure at the same time that we never lose focus on Jesus' commands? And so we prayed and we thought through and, and we said, you know what, there is probably a better word. And so this is what we came up with. The reason why Sanctus Church exists vision-wise is to be a missional church of 10,000, meaning physical, emotional, and physical needs of people in Jesus' name. See, missional allows a global expression of this church. Missional allows a local expression of this church. Missional allows a global. expression expression of this church it gives room for the virtual it gives room for the physical it gives room for the mixed expressions of church and oh by the way i mean we will continue to address this we've got all sorts of ways we even evaluate how people digitally interact with us how long they have to be on unique ip addresses it's it's there's there's science behind much of this now, what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that that word regional was not limiting what we were called to be, what God was doing as He had commanded us. The word missional also continually forces all of us to remember that churches die when they become so inward-focused that they stop actually stepping out to love God and love neighbor and declare that Jesus is truly Savior of the world. And so we wanted to take a moment as we move from this in this transitional time from rebuilding to momentum, to clarify at this critical moment, like we did in 2005, 2010, 2015, now in 2023, following the same trajectory, the same God-given promises, the same God-given momentum, we wanted to say no matter what this next chapter looks like, we need to clarify what our mission is again and what our vision is again, to understand the nuances so as we get to working through the rest of plan two and then preparing, of course, for our next plan that we're all in lockstep together as we move forward. So I'm going to ask you to do this if you are uh, anywhere where you are, if you can, whether you're literally in a service at this moment. You might be watching this in Port Perry or Bowmanville or Pickering. You might be on the online site right now. You might be watching this in an Ajax location or maybe you're watching this in, in a home with some other people or by yourself. If you can stand, could you do it? And could we as one church, across multiple locations and multiple backgrounds, could we take a moment to pray in this transitional moment? And here's what we need to pray. God, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, number one, all glory, honor, and praise to you, not to us. May your name be glorified, not our name and not our church name. Thank you, God, that you've spoken. Thanks, God, you've been with us. Thanks, God, that you sustained us. Thanks, God, that you've been with us during the good times, the great times, the difficult times, the bad times, when there's been amazing victories and failures and the in-between. Thanks that you've been with us. Not everything has been perfect in this run, but but your presence has been there. (laughs) And thanks for your mercy. So as a church, we just want to pray now, God, would you help us to continue to live out the real mission you've given to our church, but actually to all churches, to really produce fully devoted followers, from many nations and in many age groups, would God get glory? And and may fully devoted followers of Jesus really show up. May full devotion grow more. And we do pray again in faith that you would continue to build us into this missional church of 10,000. Help us to meet the spiritual and emotional and physical needs of people in Jesus' name. Would you establish what you've begun? We as your people in this time period say amen. Maybe you can say amen, just amen. We say amen. Lord, lead us and guide us and prepare us for this next chapter we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll see you next week for part two where we talk about some next steps. Thanks so much.